Today we are going to be looking at another aspect of God. And this one is perhaps one that we don't hear a lot, but one that is closest to me. And this is that God is El Roy. God is El Roy. God, even as we go into your word this moment, please help us to resonate with you as Eldroy in our different spaces and seasons of life. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Eldroy is made of two words. It's made of El and Roy. So El typically refers to God, any God. Even Haddad, who was a pagan God, was El Haddad. However, Roy, when it's translated from Hebrew, means shepherd or as seeing, looking, or gazing. So this name of God actually means the God who sees me. The God who sees me. The first time we actually encounter this name is actually in Genesis 16, in a, a very unlikely passage. And I'd like us to turn to it. And as we turn to Genesis 16, it's also important for me to mention that this is the only place where that name is actually mentioned. Nowhere else in scripture do we find God being referred to as Eldroy. Nonetheless, his nature as the God who sees us pops up in different areas, in different whatever portions of scripture. And one of those is when he meets um, the Samaritan woman. And after she has an encounter with Jesus, what does she do? She goes telling people, come, I've seen a man who knows me and who's told me about my life. So let's go to Genesis 16. And I'm going to read the entire portion of scripture. Please turn to it. I can see most of us already have it open, so I'll go ahead and read. Hagar or Hagar and Ishmael. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife or Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But he had an Egyptian slave called Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So Abram, having been okay, have after Abram, so after Abram had lived in Canaan ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, "You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering." I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do, what, do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was a spring that is beside the road to shore. And he said, 
Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. So, to a son, you shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be like a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave his name to the Lord who spoke to her. Oh, sorry, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well called Beer Lahai Roy. Oh, sorry, that is why the well was called Beer Lahai Roy. And that means well of the living one who sees me. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar, or Hagar, bore him Ishmael. So this to me uh, seems like a present day drama. I don't know the guys are seeing this. So here's a situation where, first a little backstory. In Genesis 12, what happened? God had promised Abraham that he would be the father of many nations. So fast forward to Genesis 14, they still don't have a son. When um, in Genesis 12, when we encounter Abraham, he was 75 years old. And this is many years later. So Sarai, I mean, naturally, if just put yourself in her shoes her husband is getting old she is getting old so naturally she she thought well there's no hope in this situation we might as well find a way to mitigate it and she's so discouraged in fact we see her saying that the lord has kept her from having a son so what does she do as we see in genesis 12 i mean 6 2 she comes up with an elaborate plan she comes up with what an elaborate plan this was a desperate woman so she takes her servant girl, Hagar, or Hagar, uh, and just, again, let's bring it home. It's like, you're the mistress of your home, or you're the, the wife, the lady in the home. You still haven't gotten a child, so you decide you take your house manager, give your house manager to your husband as a wife to bear a son. So in many ways, that situation was just so wrong. It's just wrong in so many, so many angles. So she goes ahead and does that. And Abraham is like, okay, if that's what you want, then let's do it. So he follows through with the plan. Hagar gets a baby. Then she gets to the place of feeling like, ah, she's even better than the mistress. So she starts acting up and despising her mistress. Sarah is not having it. She's like, this is my house, my rules. You can't disrespect me, nini, nini. So there's drama and she decides to make uh, Hagar's life a living hell. And so what does Hagar do? She flees and she goes away. So uh, something else I also find interesting, and also, again, which I saw, uh, I mean, I was looking at it from a present-day lens. What does Sarah do? She's the one who came up with a plan, right? But what does she do? She ends up blaming who? 
Abram. So she's like, dude, you are the one who's gotten me into this mess. And Abram is like, woo, <laughs> this is your person, you deal with her, he checks out. So eventually Hagar can't take it anymore and she goes away. And while she's in the wilderness, you can imagine the desperation. Remember that slaves or servants were like, uh, they, what? they were owned by the masters. They were like a good, they were like now the TV in your house. I mean, everything about her, everything about her belonged to her, to her mistress and to the, to the lord of the home. So this is a girl who literally has nowhere to go. She's an Egyptian, has nowhere to go. And she flees, she goes to the wilderness, desperate and alone, and possibly feeling very invisible and very hurt. Remember, it was not her choice to even sleep with Abraham. This is not someone who loved it. It was not like a courtship situation. This was not her choice. And now she was being made to suffer because of it. However, Mungu halalangi, sindio? Mungu anao? Mungu anaona, God sees. So while she's in the wilderness, the angel of the Lord comes to her. And just like, you know, I, I love how he asks, I mean, where are you coming from? I mean, he knows. He knows where she's coming from. But for me, this just brings out the element of God wanting us to involve him and to invite him into our situation so that he doesn't know. And that's why we pray. It's not that he doesn't know. He knows, but he wants us to invite him into our situation. And that's what she does. So she... Uh, just shares what her situation is, the trouble she's having with her mistress. And I also love how the Lord goes about this. He doesn't tell her, you know, now you go and then you, what does he tell her? No, go back to Sarah and submit to her. And then he goes ahead and tells her, don't worry, you're going to have a boy and you're going to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. The name Ishmael means God hears. And he goes ahead to say, for the Lord has had your misery. And in that moment, she is so odd and so humble and so many words that I can't put, I mean, many things I can't put in words. And in that moment of gratitude and oh, she names him the Lord, the God who sees me. As I was going through this text, First, a very unusual text, because the person who somewhat comes out as a protagonist is a Gentile, it's an Egyptian girl. And those roles interchange. She's the protagonist at one point, and then she becomes the antagonist. She, she's the one who's suffering, and then she becomes the one who's meeting suffering. And then Sarah is the one who's suffering, and then she becomes the one who's... So those roles interchange. But it makes, it, 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 it baffles me how the realization of God being the one who sees is being professed by an Egyptian girl. And you'll see why I'm bringing that up later as we go through a couple of verses. However, there are also other things that pop up, which I will not really focus on, but I think they are worth mentioning. One, there was a promise. God had given Abraham a promise. It delayed. Then someone came up with an ingenious plan, and we won't say who, Sindio, comes up with an ingenious plan. It, they follow through with it. The three characters follow through with it. Things go south. There's trouble in the home. Someone gets hurt, runs away, and then God brings a solution. She goes back home. 
But still, the solution comes with a consequence because even though Ishmael would be born and he would end up being trouble to his brothers and sisters as is prophesied there. He would end up being not brothers and sisters, but to his brothers. And we see that in present day because the descendants of Ishmael are Arabs or Arabs. Yeah? But I want us to focus on the main message, which is captured in verse 13. And which says, you are the God who sees me. I have now seen the one who sees me. My message today is very brief and to the point. And it's simply this. I came to this place, to this house, to tell somebody today that God sees you. Not mungu anaona, mungu anakuona. God sees you. And for some of us here, it may be a message of encouragement, and I do sincerely hope it is a message of encouragement, but for someone else, it could be a terrifying one. But let me start with encouraging us. Maybe you're here and you are misunderstood. Maybe you're here and you've been doing things right, but it feels like no one sees and no one appreciates. And maybe you're here and you are under overwhelming circumstances and consequences that may or may not be your fault. For Hagar, like we said earlier, she didn't choose to sleep with Abraham. As a servant, again, like we said, she had no say. She was a victim of circumstance. And maybe some of us are actually just victims of circumstance. For Sarai, however, she brought some of the problems to herself because she grew impatient. And some of us grew impatient. God promises something. We know God has told us to wait. We know, and there are different ways in which God speaks to us. Impressions through his word, through other people. And you have heard God's promise to you. But you've grown impatient, just like she did. Because you're seeing as though the odds are against you. And maybe there's a bad decision you have made that is leading to a ripple effect. But nonetheless, I want you to know that just like God saw Sarai in her mistake, God sees you too. And just like God saw Hagar in her mistake, God sees you too. And he's a God of justice, he's a God of mercy, he's a God of restoration, he's a God of reward. In these times, especially where the economy and finances are concerned, it is a time where many of us can make very shady decisions, whether it's in business or in the employment space. This is also the time when, again, but when people are, when we are vulnerable, it seems as though that's also the time when he is also most active. And opportunities will be presented before you that are not godly, opportunities to make an extra income somewhere, to partner with something for something little, maybe to give them a tender, for you to sell your items a little more expensive than you know you should, etc, etc. Or to even slack in work, maybe if you're working in a government office because after all there's no work, 
and all the energy is being thrown towards campaigns. And, but you get my drift. I want to encourage us today and remind us that God sees us in our circumstances. And we should just wait a little longer and do what is right by him. Because in due time, and in his own way, as MJ was telling us earlier, he will meet us at our different points of need. Proverbs 15 verse 3 says, The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. He is watching over all of us, every single one, the wicked and the good. In 2 Chronicles 16.9, we are told, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth, to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to you, to him. The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. God is watching over all of us, but he is more committed to us whose hearts are fully committed to him. He is committed to strengthening us. He is committed to helping us. He's committed to guiding us to a favorable outcome. If you're weak, feeling weak in the face of life's challenges today, whatever form, may not be financial, could be others, in whatever form, the best way to grow strong is to strengthen your commitment to Christ, not to turn to your own devices. Decide to obey fully, to follow completely, and to keep your eyes fastened on God. Psalm 121, uh, verse 3, and also verse 5 to 8 tells us, He will not let your foot sleep. This is God. He will not let your foot sleep. He who watches over you will not slumber. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch, will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. Your present and your future are secure. God will not let your foot, your foot slip. He will not allow you to go through misfortune. Because remember, God is a God who works through all things that they may work out for our good. I love also what Isaiah 43 verse 2 to 3 says. And this is what the Lord says. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. So let's not give up, turn to our own devices, be discouraged. Our God sees us and our God is meeting us at every point in our lives. Just like he did for Hagar, just like he did for Sarah. For those of us here who feel invisible, you are visible to God. You know, Hagar must have felt extremely invisible, especially while she was in her master's house. She didn't have a, 
assay, and even more in the wilderness when she was all by herself. Remember, this is someone who did not have a relationship with Adonai. She was not like Sarah or Abraham. All alone with nowhere to go and no one to turn and no one to hear her and advocate for her. God showed up for her. Maybe you're here and you're feeling extremely invisible. And maybe it's at work. You're seeing people being promoted. You're seeing people being taken out. So I hear trainings, especially in corporate. In trainings in Nakonga, Kitomuzito Sana, Padiem, Hotel. Some of those assignments were out of the office, yeah? Guys are going for those. You're, you know, skilled. You have what it takes to get the job done. But for some reason, you're invisible. Maybe it's in your family. You may feel invisible, maybe because of a year third bonds have that, you know, I'm an, I'm, only, I'm an only child. So sometimes third bonds are here, feeling visible. I don't know how true that is. But that's not the point. You could be in a family where people don't pay attention to what you're saying or what your point of view is. Or really, you're there to be seen and not to be heard. Sometimes you're not even seen. I want to encourage you and let you know that God sees you. And allow me to also just take another tangent. Sometimes it could be by virtue of your personality. I was uh, somewhere recently and I remember, and I shared this with my housemate. Um, I remember that one of the people speaking and saying, uh, they don't speak in public. They find it very difficult. And they're highly introverted. I remember him saying how in the workplace and many people actually around him tell him to go out there, be more seen, you know, go out there. And sometimes I feel that we may feel less of ourselves by virtue of who we are. And I want to encourage parents, especially of introverted children, to just let your children be, to accept them and embrace them for who they are. Or if you have an introverted sibling or an introverted workmate or friend, just let them be. There's nothing wrong with them. If they are quiet, let them be quiet. But sometimes, by virtue of your personality, you may feel invisible. You may be a very good person on the inside, big heart, but your anxiety towards people may not let you just be who you are. God sees you. Maybe it's in a married situation. You're married but you feel invisible and alone. Could be a husband or a wife. God sees you. Or you're the one who's fighting for your marriage. You feel alone as you're fighting for your marriage. God sees you. God sees you. There could yet be another group or another person who's drowning under the weight of their responsibility. Their lives are not their own. They wish they could make decisions, but they can't. There's too much at stake. They wish they could leave their jobs, but they can't. There's too much at stake. Because of all the weight and all the responsibility they are carrying, trying to sustain dependence, and you feel alone in your struggle. And you feel like no one sees you, and no one knows your pain. God sees you, and God knows you. 
He's a God who sees, and he's also a God who rewards. And I know this because Colossians 3, 23 to 24 tells me that whatever you do, work heartily, ask for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. In that marriage, you're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. As you're parenting, you're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. In the workplace, you are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. In this country, however oppressed you may feel, please do the right thing because you're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 6.9 tells us that let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. The God who sees us is a God who rewards and is also a God of justice. And Deuteronomy 32.4 tells us that he is the rock. His works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. He is the rock and his works are perfect. Let us allow him to just work. And all his ways are just. Let him just establish justice in our lives. And he is faithful. He will never let us down. He does no wrong. He's upright and he's just. And Psalms 89 verse 14 tells us that righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. You are here referring to God. Love and faithfulness go before you. Love and faithfulness go before our God. This is his nature. A God of justice, a God of love, a God of righteousness, and a faithful God. The God who sees you is all that and more. You can rest and trust in him. You can trust him to bring swift justice in your situation like he did for Hagar and Sarai. And some of us here maybe are struggling with secret habits, be bad decisions that have landed us in trouble. And we want to stop, but we can't seem to do it. You know those struggles, you struggle and struggle and struggle and you get to a place where like, Lord, I don't know what to do. I can't get myself out of this. I want to encourage you to turn to God for help. Choose first start by admitting there is a problem. Start there. Do whatever is necessary. Seek out help. But trust God. It is not going to take your willpower. Trust God to help you break what needs to be broken in your life. And I love what he says. You know, God is a God who also just, other than just seeing our struggles, he wants to come alongside us. He came alongside Hagar. He went and met with her. And if we allow him, like she did, to come alongside us and to help us, he will provide a way out for us. But we need to ask him for help. He did not impose himself on Hagar. He, in, he, he implored, he tried. He brought himself to her, but he wanted her to invite and to allow him. If we do the same and trust him, he will break us free. I love what 1 Corinthians 10, 11 to, 12, 11 to 13 says, really in the Berean study Bible. And it says, now these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us, or 
excuse me, on whom the fulfillment of ages, of the ages has come. So the one who thinks he's standing firm should be careful not to fall. Remember that no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, when, not if, when you are tempted, he will also provide an escape so that you can stand up under it. God has a way out for you, but you need to allow him to help you. Don't settle and say this won't change. I have tried and I've tried and I've tried. He has a way of escape for you if you just let him. As I conclude this morning, if you forget everything else I've said, remember this, that God sees you, he sees you when you're most vulnerable, and he sees you when you're most invisible. He is committed to you, no doubt. Now more than ever, stay committed to him and wait on him to deliver you. He is a rewarder and he is just. And his justice is timely and it is swift. Let's choose to be beneficiaries of God's justice and God's mercy and God's favor and God's reward. And let's not be the subject of his wrath. If there's anyone here who's willingly walking away wayward life, I implore you, make a decision to live right by God. God has given us a sense of right and wrong. And that is what makes the difference between us, makes us different from the animals, that we have that sense of right and wrong. And God speaks to us once, twice, thrice, many times, asking us to turn back to him. So like Hagar, respond to him and choose to do what is right, to submit to God and to live the way he wants you to. He sees you. He sees you. Everyone else may not see you, but he sees you. I'd like us to just pray, spend a few minutes in prayer. And these are the two things I'd like us to pray for. One, to ask God to help us to do what is right in his sight. Not what we think is right, but to do what is right in his sight. And secondly, to pray that God will enable us to see him for who he is. That as you've spoken today about him being Elroy, the God who sees us, that he would enable us to see his presence in our lives, his love for us, his care and concern over our lives, his power and sovereignty in our lives, to see him as a God of love and also the God of justice. God, help us to do what is right in your eyes. We're no different, Lord, from Sarah. Sarai, Lord. 
Sometimes, Lord, it feels like you're not working fast enough or you're not working the way we want. Help us, Lord, we do not want to turn to our own devices. We have seen through the story of Sarah that that just leads us to more trouble. Father, we want to stay within the parameters of your will for us. Help us, Lord, not to conjure our own parts, our own plans, our own breakthrough. Help us to do what is right in your eyes and not what we think is right. Also, King of Glory, help us to see you for who you really are. In the midst of darkness, Lord, it is our human nature to think more of the darkness and to drown in the darkness and to embrace the light. It's hard work, Lord, to keep casting aside those heavy thoughts and, you know, the reality that is before us to gaze upon your beauty and your goodness and to think upon the things that are good, that are pure, those things that will just shift us and shift our hearts and our frame of minds to life instead of death and panic and anxiety. Help us, God, to see you for who you are. God, help us to even reflect, to take times to reflect, just like we did today, thinking about the most beautiful thing we've ever seen to take time to reflect on the times, Lord, you have come through for us. The time we said, Enyewe Mungu Halali. The times when we saw your hand, we saw you move things, you do the impossible. The times we saw you answer prayer, meet our needs, establish us, help us, Lord, to have that before us more and more. Thank you, God, because of your love for us. And maybe you're here and you want to make that decision to just stop, 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 stop doing what is wrong before God and to do what is right before him. I want to invite you to individually make that prayer by yourself. Just invite him, because just like you were told in Second Corinthians, or rather we read in First Corinthians, 10, 11 to 13. He is willing to help us. He will not let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. And he is willing to provide a way of escape. So if there's a path, if something you're doing, you've pulled a serai, or you have been pulling several serais, I want to invite you to pray and to ask the Lord first to forgive you but also to help you navigate the mess and to help you see that way of escape and to come out standing strong with a testimony of the goodness of the Lord. Thank you, God, because truly, as your word has said, no temptation assists us except what is common to man. And you are faithful, you will not let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. Father, forgive us for when we have entertained temptation. We have responded and acted according to our desires that are sinful. Provide a way of escape for us. God, we choose to turn away. Show us the path. 
Free us, break us loose, O God, from whatever chains we are under or we have entered, whatever problems, Lord, we have entered. God, just give us a way out. You did it for Sarah, Lord. You did it, Lord, for Hagar. Lord, help us. Give us a way of escape. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.